Hello, you, and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we are not talking about Look Who's Talking. We are not talking about Look Who's Talking too. We are talking about Look Who's Talking Now with Miranda Zickler. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I'm recording this in a hotel room in the city that never sleeps. So if you hear any cling clang behind me, that's what's going on. If you hear any beeping, if you hear any trucks moving, if you hear any debris being cleared, if you hear any jackhammering, that's what's going on. I'll soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Look Who's Talking Now is a 1993 American romantic comedy film, the third and final installment of the series. It stars John Travolta and Kirstie Alley, and it is based on the characters by Amy Heckerling. We talk about how much this shocked me (laughs) in the episode itself. But uh, yeah, characters by the Amy Heckerling. Miranda Zickler is many things. Uh, She is in the band Coinka. We love her for many reasons, uh, but one being that she works with us. She edits our episodes. We uh, love Miranda so, so much. And we were happy to have her on to talk about this wild movie. Like I said up top, I'm recording this from New York. We are on the spring You're Wrong About tour. It has been a blast. Thank you so much to everyone who's come up and said hello at the date so far. I look forward to meeting you if you're coming to one of the dates coming up. A lot of these dates are sold out, uh, but there are still tickets available for Philadelphia. There are still tickets available for Burlington, Vermont. So if you're in one of those places, uh, we would love to see you. How's everything going in your world? How are you feeling? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you experiencing? How's it all shaken out? You can let us know on Twitter or Instagram at YouAreGoodPod. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget, my friend, that you are good. Our show is made possible largely by everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. You can find us there, of course. You can support the show, and in exchange, you get bonus episodes. We have a hearty, hefty, lengthy, robust bonus episode coming up about Sex in the City Season 2, which we cover with our great friend Eve Lindley. Great conversation. Uh, Just in time, by the way, for the And Just Like That teaser that just dropped. We're going to be covering Sex and the City in our bonus episodes every other month. Hopefully you enjoy Sex and the City. And if you don't, hopefully you enjoy just uh, two friends talking about stuff that they enjoy, sometimes joined by another friend. All right, that's enough for me for now. That's enough setup. That's all you need. Let's go talk about some talking dogs. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Have you seen... No, sorry. (laughs) Hello, Sarah Marshall. I thought the hello was fine. (laughs) I don't know why I ran right into the second part. I was losing my mind. Well, I have a question for you, Alex. I can't wait for it. Okay, well, first of all, we're doing a Christmas and spring movie, and so I'm going to drink a Mountain Dew fruit cake quake fruit quake oh, good news. the drink that tastes like the red parts of fruit cake fruit quake fruit it's cake got like, I love Mountain Dew art famously Major Melon has a slice of his own body in his helmet so let's unpack what we see here I can't quite see it can you describe it <sighs> there's like <laughs> massive tire tracks with fruit cake candied fruit in in them and then there's like a monster truck with giant wheels studded with nuts and little bits of candied fruit so i think that's really masculine of them and we're recording this in in april right why Mm -hmm. are you uh drinking some fruit cake (laughs) (laughs) alex i am drinking fruit quake to go with the seasonality of the film we have just watched which is the final piece of a trilogy a trilogy that I would say has shaped American culture that I know people have been eager for us to cover that deserves to have its own lands at theme parks and rides and merchandise and to just be remembered forever by everyone. And of course, by that I mean we're talking about Look Who's Talking Now, the third film in the Look Who's Talking trilogy. I didn't realize until, and this is a movie that was on that I, well, I, I've never seen this movie, but I saw Look Who's Talking 1 and 2 my entire childhood, mm-hmm. and I did not realize until watching this 
where we find out that this is based on characters introduced to the world by Amy Heckerling, who made Clueless and Fast Times at Ridgemont mm-hmm. High. And she directed <laughs> the first two movies. And I think that Clueless exists because of Look Who's Talking. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. She was allowed to do anything, I'm sure, after this. Z- z- who are we? Who are we blessed Whose company are we blessed by today, Sarah Marshall? We're blessed by the company of someone who rings like a bell through the night and wouldn't we love to love her? It's Miranda Zickler. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to talk about the forgotten faction of America who are fans of Look Who's Talking Now and only look who's talking now (laughs) because I haven't seen the first two movies because I don't really care about babies. (laughs) Oh my God. It's crazy. I cannot, when you told us, so Sarah has been like, Miranda has to come on and talk about look who's talking now, a movie that she has a lot of opinions about. And I found that first shocking and I can't wait to unpack that. But second, I couldn't believe when I learned that you have not seen the other two. Look, this is like learning about someone who only knows about home alone. three. (laughs) Exactly. Like, that this is so <laughs> wild to me <laughs> well alex you know you loved mama mia too or rather mama oh, that's mia, true. here we go again mm. and had never mm. seen mama mia still have not seen mama mia and it makes people fucking angry. i have and i think mama mia here we go again is the superior <laughs> film i gotta say absolutely because you get to see donna being a slut that's all i want I haven't seen Mamma Mia 1, but I'm assuming Mamma Mia 2 is somehow campier, and I appreciate that they made that choice. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be less campy. Like, it's, oh, whatever. Uh, Miranda, what's your relationship with this movie? Okay, so look, I, uh, I, I grew up with this movie. I, like, picked it out at a Goodwill with the puffy case, probably just, like, based on the cover alone, and... I I was just really charmed by it as a child. I loved it so much. And when I got older, I would I, my elevator pitch was like, everybody look at me. This movie features Diane Keaton and Danny DeVito as perfectly executed talking dogs. Yeah. And what really like dug my heels in about it, though, what really made me like the evangelist of Look Who's Talking Now that I am today came later and it was this so alex steed this question is not for sarah because she's already been on this ride with me Mm. so alex steed i would like for you to tell me what you think the rating on rotten tomatoes of this movie (laughs) is 25 percent zero percent that's that's not fair i would say that's not fair it is one of 43 Movies on the zero percent list of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That's not fair. I mean, I, there there are living people who do work in this movie, so I feel like there should be at least <laughs> ten. And then there's there's dog sperm and uh, eggs, so that's great. Uh, that's what I'm looking for in a movie. And then there's a, uh, it's fucking uncomfortable watching these people phone it in as hard as they are. But it's I can't believe zero. That's hard to believe. I'm so interested in why you think it's phoned in. I find every person in this movie is so charming. I saw the movies because I saw the movies they were in where they cared about their roles. <laughs> And I didn't. <laughs> I have now watched in the last 12 hours, I'm proud to say, the Look Who's Talking trilogy. It's incredible, Sarah. Wow! I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of me, too. It was really fun. And I will say that Look Who's Talking 2 is the weak link here. Because Look Who's Talking oh, wow. 1, perfectly charming. charming. I'm sure that this was, you know, greenlit partly due to the success of Three Men and a Baby. Yes, these totally. were the baby years, and I love babies, and I love movies about babies. <laughs> and when I was a kid, I loved movies about babies, and I love Bruce Willis. So sure. I was into it. For people who don't know, Luke, who's talking about is a movie about Kirstie Alley being an accountant who was having an affair with her boss, or rather, the guy whose taxes she does, George Siegel. Yeah, so keeps good. Promising to leave his wife and never will. Perfect casting. He gets totally. her pregnant. She has a baby and her cabbie who drives her to the hospital is John Travolta. And then her baby thinks with the voice of Bruce Willis. And you know what's great about Look Who's Talking is that it's about Bruce Willis wanting John Travolta to be his daddy. 
<laughs> and talking about how he wants John Travolta to be his daddy. And then at the end, that's what happens. And then in Look Who's Talking too, they were like, oh, fuck, this movie had a budget of $7 million and it made like $300 million. <laughs> we have to make another of these right now. It's the Saw 2 of the franchise. Totally. And it's about Mikey having a new little sister who's voiced by Roseanne. Great move. And it's 75 minutes long and you just wow. feel them desperately stretching out. It's so short and it feels like they only have half the material they need for it. They just have no idea what to do. And it's so funny to me that they're like the kid who is voiced by Bruce Willis turns into this fey little child who we have in this <laughs> from movie. Seventh Heaven. <laughs> The boy from Seventh Heaven was Bruce Willis's voice in, in sperm and in toddler form. Right. Of course. And then it's like, do all of us sound like Bruce Willis until we start talking about our voices? It's Bruce Willis or Danny DeVito. <laughs> Those are your choices. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't. This movie is choices. Like, this is a real choices movie. <laughs> Tell me about your feelings about this movie. Alex, I feel like you should talk about the plot of this movie. Because I don't know. You're just kind of more amazed than I am. <laughs> I'll try. It'll be messy and it won't. It maybe won't be linear. It'll be great. But, okay. And I and as everyone knows, I don't remember any character's name. I just remember I just remember the the actors. So John Travolta and Kirstie Alley, they're together again. Thank God. They're children. Uh, Mikey, I, I remember Mikey's name, shockingly. Uh, and then what is the girl's Julie. name? Julie. Julie. Julie, they're talking now. Look who's talking now. They are talking now. The kids that you knew from the past movie, they're talking now. And Mikey wants a dog and Julie loves Charles Barkley. And that's her whole personality. I was surprised Charles Barkley was in this movie. I gotta say. It is, it's so, that scene is phenomenal. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Scene. And IMDb is like, that little girl who played Julie did her own basketball moves. And I was like, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I, I certainly don't believe that. Charles Barkley was also a really good SNL host. Oh, he really Aww. was. He was really charming in this movie. Mm -hmm. He's really great. And in the so okay, so now the pressure is on for John Travolta to get a job, to get a real job. He's a goofy, love, lovable dad, but it's time for him to get a job. Kirstie Alley has her corporate job where she she covers the pay of the whole family. He, it's time for him to get a job. He gets a job as a pilot, and I can't quite remember. Sarah, you've watched the whole the trilogy, thing, yes. I remember him being both a pilot and a cab driver. What's the story? That's <laughs> basically not. the same thing. You're right, because now he's a cab driver to the skies. But he <laughs> originally was a cab driver who loved flying, and he was trying to work as a flying instructor, not because he made any mm. money doing it, but because he loved being in the air so much. And I will also point out that his employer, Lizette Anthony, I looked up, and she's been in so much stuff. You probably know her from something. I know her from Dracula Dead and Loving It. She was Lucy. Of course. She was the other, the female co-lead, as along with the unforgettable Amy Yazbek. And she was the girl in Brian Adams' video for Run to You, which is very appropriate oh, wow. for what happens in this movie. She's a stone cold fox. She's she a is. fox. She's a British fox, too. She's a British fox. He finally gets a job with this British fox being her private uh, uh, pilot. Kirstie Alley is immediately skeptical of this situation because her husband now works for a fox. And also, Kirstie Alley loses her job to downsize. Pink slip. Mm -hmm. It's a very uh, George H.W. Bush kind of a movie. Yes. And now because she's gotten laid off due to Republican policies, I'm positive. Now her near do well husband is the breadwinner. Uh oh. The only thing that bums me out about this movie uh, with regard to what is missing from the first two movies is the guy, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who played Casey Jones in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was in those first two movies. And the like wacky teacher from Clueless was in those first two Misguised. movies. Oh, yeah. Yes. Twink Kaplan. Yes, I'm so sad that they're not here. They're not here. They chose to not come back That's, for some reason. They're right. They weren't doing anything better. It's Maybe funny. Maybe the but writers didn't feel that Twink Kaplan could possibly have a role in all this without stealing the spotlight <laughs> away from the dogs. I think that that's fair. So now 
you know, this could play out any number of ways. This could just be Kirstie Alley's anxiety about sort of the fact that she's not breadwinning anymore. But nope, her suspicions are correct. Mm -hmm. This woman wants to fuck and devour (laughs) John Travolta. Yeah, it's very Lair of the White Worm vibes. Yeah. Oh my God. I love Lair of the White Worm. (laughs) So, so to this point, and basically like a lot of the movies, John Travolta is not showing up as a member of the family because he is now the breadwinner uh, of the family. Side note, side note, we haven't even covered that there are now two dogs in the picture. One who we meet at the beginning of the movie, voiced by Danny DeVito, who through a long series of events finds his way into this family. And important to note that we do witness his conception because canonically every look who's talking <laughs> yeah. movie has to open with sperm talking about trying to get to the egg. Which makes it a spring movie. Oh, it's yeah. perfect for April. <laughs> it's really true. I'm still kind of impressed by the animation or whatever they're doing with the sperm and the eggs in these I'm movies. I'm not convinced that those aren't real, real sperm. sperm. It looks yeah. so good. <laughs> it looks so good. And, and is the other dog's name Daphne? What's the other she dog's sure name? She sure is, Daphne. Why are you so sure, Miranda, what their what their names are? <laughs> I am so sure because last year, my partner, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and I found two feral five-week-old kittens in our yard and it was, in fact, Chelsea's idea to name them Daphne and Rox. And that's Amazing. how I knew it was real. Yeah. <laughs> Their names let you know everything about them. One is from the streets, yeah. played by Danny DeVito. One is Diane. And a poodle. And she's Oh, perfect. my God. Totally. <laughs> she has outfits. Side quest in this whole movie is these dogs. These dogs actually played less of a role than I expected them to play. Like I was glad for them to be here. I'm not saying that it was, but the the amount of family drama was surprisingly higher than I, I think expected. there could have been less family drama. Yeah, yeah there totally. Been, I think more dogs would have served this movie well. More dogs. So these two were having a Lady in the Tramp situation where mm-hmm. he's teaching her how to be a bum and she's teaching him how to obey rules a little bit, which is nice. So nice. Because that's going to earn his role in being able to stay in the family. Because this is back when, like, if you were trying to get rid of puppies, you put them in a box on the street. Like, that is what is happening at this time. Long story short, we get to Christmas time. Kirstie Alley's working as a David Sedaris like elf at a uh, department store. Also, there's like a whole plot for this whole movie where Mikey has lost his faith in Santa because he saw Santa oh my God. weird off talking to his bookie or whatever. I forgot. And, and that that's so I would think that that is not important to mention, but it's incredibly important to mention because we are going to get the wildest credit sequence you have ever fucking seen in this movie. It's nuts. So the boss through a series of like fatal attraction like lies mm. this is also a very fatal attraction yes. era. Yeah. <laughs> lies to john travolta to get him stuck at a cabin with her in a way that i thought like for a minute was going to be redemptive and charming when she talks about her youth Me and like too. how her parents weren't around yeah. and stuff and no, it wasn't no it just wasn't everyone wants to see the bitchy temptress spurned nobody wants yeah. to see her redeemed <laughs> I was like, whoa, I was like, cool, this is going to be clever. And it wasn't. No. I also think that this movie inspired Bob's Burgers classic episode, Christmas in the Car. Okay. Tell us. I don't know that one. Tell us about it. They're going to get a last minute Christmas tree because Linda always gets a Christmas tree too early and then it becomes a fire hazard and they have to throw it out. And so they're up in the country and they're in a diner getting a Dutch baby and at some point, it's also clearly an homage to Duel, but they're like cut off by a trucker who I think is voiced in, I think, the role of a lifetime by Bobcat Goldthwaite. And so Beautiful. they end up in like this weird, they get stuck in the woods. But the point is that they're like, they're marooned in the forest at night on Christmas Eve, like in an unsuitable vehicle in the snow and the cold. And like, that's what happens in this movie. The stakes get very high. But do some gay coded wolves show up? Oh my because god. That's what happens so. next. <laughs> there are fucking gay coated wolves. Yeah. So Kirstie Alley and family go to save John Travolta. They go to find him to be with him on Christmas. They're gonna yes. bring Christmas to Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> and then at some point wolves get at John Travolta 
and he is saved by the animal rocks who they're going to discard because he can't do anything right, who ends up protecting John Travolta. That's right. And Daphne uses her nose to find help. And she brings the the forest rangers Teamwork. back and redeems herself as a wild marauding beast and not a poodle after all. Teamwork. They get to prove themselves. It's very Jack London. It's like, what if the Call of the Wild and White Fang fell in love and in a Lady and the Tramp kind of way? Yeah. And what's a little funny about this is that it's not enough that he, the dog, saved John Travolta. It's that like he, we find out that he's trained. That Kirstie Alley's like, okay, we can keep him. Like, because mm-hmm. like the the dog saves her husband who is on thin ice and uh she's and then like we see behind it's actually like kind of like a fun little gag while all the training words are coming out we see that rocks is obeying the words finally like behind john travolta's back i think that that's cute but it also implies that it wasn't enough that he saved uh no she was already telling him he could stay it was just a fun little bit you're poking holes alex it was was, okay you're right it was a fun bit and then okay and then we can fill in blanks after but i can't i just cannot wait i can't wait oh, to and get then to this mikey sees his dad or no he sees the ranger in a big ski suit and is like santa is real what's the fucking song they play when he's looking out the window fucking have a little faith in me by john hyatt <laughs> oh my god that's right it's so beautiful <laughs> it's a gorgeous scene it's like from another movie. It's like from, it's like has such high caliber that you're like they put in a high caliber scene in this. Yeah, movie. and the soundtrack is great. There's a really great version of "Please Come Home for Christmas," which is like yeah. an old blues tune, and it's like there's some really good choices musically. And then we get to the end credits. It's Dude. like great. Everybody's gonna cheer and clap, and it all worked out. And Merry Christmas, one and all. And then Alex. Right, because you remember how Mikey does not know about what's going on with Santa. You remember how he's upset. He doesn't. He needs to believe. There's so there's a point, and I, Miranda, you're you're gonna have to describe what happens. But I just want to say that before it was fully revealed what was happening, I noticed that like the film stock was different. Uh-huh. Like I was like, we're in a different cinematic universe. Like this is shot somewhere else. And then when I see what unfolds. Second for second, I was like, holy fucking shit. Miranda, what happens? What happens is an absolutely unhinged collaboration with French child pop star Jordy. (laughs) (laughs) Which I can only imagine was like a cash grab. But well, okay, so let's back up. Jordy is a. Let's back up. France, Miranda. France is a country. <laughs> During the revolution. Um, so in 1993, Jordi is a five-year-old French pop star. Uh, I don't imagine that was his choice. He did a lot of rapping. He released a song. Yeah, you like need a team. You need a team, even if you're an adult. He's you like, know, just we le bebe. And my production company is called Dur Dur Productions. And my parents have forced me into this life. And then at some point, they spend all his money to open a petting zoo, which fails spectacularly. He's left with no money. But he's apparently living an okay life now. I know all this because after I watched this movie at Christmas with my parents, my dad and I went down a long rabbit hole of like watching French YouTube videos Mm. and trying to translate them to understand anything further about this child. Because I kind of try to put it out of my mind or I tried to when I was younger that this part existed because I was like, this is so stupid (laughs) (laughs) compared to the rest of the movie. Well, it is. You're like, what are these kids doing? (laughs) And now I understand that is part of the aesthetic. No, now you realize it was like they attached a movie onto the most brilliant part of it. They were like, let's put a movie before this piece of fine art. (laughs) It's like when they would have a Michael Jackson video and it was like a three minute video with like a 10 minute intro. That's what this is. You're right. You're right. This is bad. (laughs) Yeah, so that's Jordy. Can you just describe like what Jordy looks like? Like what's his what's his vibe? Oh, like a tiny little Aaron Carter. 
perhaps. <laughs> oh, oh R.I.P. yeah. I'm glad Jordy's still with yes. us. Um, yeah, he seems to be doing well. So, yeah, I recommend that everyone go <laughs> watch that music video, if nothing else. It's called Say Noel. Oh, my God. And Santa's in it? Santa is in it. Kirstie Alley's in it. John Travolta is in it. They're very confused because their children are inside of a dollhouse. <laughs> oh, it's... <laughs> yeah, it's like a music It's like music video reality. It's like not the reality of the film. Yeah, and I just assume Which that is they weird. were like, well, we're just going to hitch on to this and try to make try to make our American crossover happen. And it didn't. It didn't happen. Do you think that, like, was Jordy... Like, I truly can't guess whether Jordy was supposed to benefit from his connection to Look Who's Talking Now or whether Look Who's Talking Now was supposed to benefit from his connection to Jordy. This was before, scientifically, we had nailed down what the purpose of a thing like this was. This was like, this was coming off the heels of Too Legit to Quit. Or what was the Adams Family Look, rap? the Adams Family, there it is, yeah. Oh, thank my God. Fucking... A great song. I think about it every day. It was a time. Or Ninja Rap from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. This was happening. Go, Ninja Go, Ninja Go, yeah. A lot at this time. (laughs) And whoever was in charge of this one was confused. It took me a minute to realize Jordy wasn't Mike. I know. Harrison. I was like, "Why? Why are there two this- Mikeys? Which one is <laughs> the first time?" I was like, "Which of these is Mikey?" That's the next movie. That's look who's talking. Where? Where? Yeah. <laughs> well, we just we just we were just talking about this. I believe there's a sequel in development to the Joy Luck Club, which would come out 30 years after the Joy Luck Club came out. They should absolutely do that. So with we've this. got a chance. Yeah. Same year. They came up the yeah. same year. They should absolutely do that with this. There was a YouTube comment for Look Who's Talking To that was like, great movie. I think there should be a fourth. <laughs> I know it's sad that Kirstie Alley died of cancer, but you could always say that the parents are traveling. <laughs> and it's about Mikey having kids of his own. Good and advice. you know what? Why not? Why I mean, not? It, they, they kind of put that in a pretty macabre way, but I see their point. Oh, it's so good. Miranda, what? Tell us everything about your relationship. Like, I understand about you growing up with it, but like, why do you have feelings about this? Tell us, uh, tell us all. Okay. In seriousness, I do. I think the spoiler alert here is that Danny DeVito is my daddy and I love him so much. Yeah. And I think it truly had a lot to do with being so into Matilda when I was a kid oh, sure. and just like hearing that voice and being very comforted by it and then growing up and understanding that he's just like actually a very cool man and like mm-hmm. besides that I, I think a lot about like what you guys were talking about in the babe episode with Caroline O'Donohue who I just refer to now as the Irish Sarah Marshall oh, that's <laughs> and, and it you know you were talking about how by the way for those who don't know I'm the editor of this podcast so I hear Everything that goes on in every episode. I didn't introduce myself. Mm-hmm. Hello. Miranda knows I it do. all. I do. I know it all. Miranda knows where the bodies are buried. <laughs> and I helped. <laughs> and, and you were just talking about how CGI mouths on animals like take you down an uncanny valley road really quickly. And I feel like movies like this really did a great job of expressing how we imagined talking to animals when we were kids mm. like it's not like you're imagining their mouths moving you're totally. imagining like you're interpreting their like their eyebrows and their like tilt the tilts of their head and I was a very anxious kid I'm still a very anxious kid and I find a lot of solace at, in the the dog at the party and I just I feel like this movie just really nailed that kind of dynamic and you can't get better than Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. And have they done any other projects together? Do you know this, Sarah? That's a great question. I feel like IMDb would have mentioned it because this movie has one of those trivia pages that's like, you know, Danny DeVito and John Travolta were also in Get Shorty. (laughs) So like... I don't think so. And I and they have I think they have really nice chemistry together. And I feel like I also was thinking about I think Diane Keaton doesn't have kids or does she? It doesn't matter. I just I feel like she's but I was thinking like if she doesn't have kids, then like I love that she did this like dog role in a kids movie where she like is 
bringing herself as the Diane Keaton we all know. I do think that she's really well cast as a poodle. I also, Miranda, do you, <laughs> did you like Homeward Bound when you were a kid? Because that to me is my platonic talking animal movie. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. Same year, yes. same talking animals. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I think I just attached to this one in a very strange way. And as I got older, you know, I like, I really, I had to protect it. Nobody, Homeward Bound doesn't need any protection. Everybody loves it. Right, exactly. But look who's talking now has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and then also something, I have a, a kind of a theory that I wanted to talk to you guys about and see if you have any thoughts. Hmm. You have a theory? Yes. So I have a theory because like we all know that the, the kind of love that we are shown as children is like the kind of love we think we deserve as adults. Right. So <laughs> um, I think a lot about how that relates to the pets that we had. Mm, wow. Because I always had cats growing up and I always wanted a dog. And Chelsea finally said we could get a dog last year. And then we found these fucking cats Ooh. and I love them so much. But now we don't have a dog. So I've never had a dog. And I feel like cats show affection in like a very, I mean, I don't feel this way. This is true. They show affection in a very like conditional and finicky way. Like you have to move around and maneuver in order for them Mm -hmm. to love you. And I feel like if I had had like the unwavering light of a dog's love shown upon me in my youth, then I might not have spent quite so much time like chasing other people's approval in the mm-hmm. obsessive way that I do. What do you what do you think of this? Alex, did you have dogs? Yeah, I grew up with Jack from 5 to 12 maybe and then Max and then I had cats starting around 12. Mm-hmm. So I was more dog conditioned early. So you're very well adjusted. I I well <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people who might, I, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, this is a huge question. I'm really, I'm really chewing on this. In the meantime, mm-hmm. Sarah, what, what was your menagerie? So we, we always had cats and cats were like at the pets that I kind of had the closest relationship to growing up. Cause then we did, we tended to have a dog, but it was like a jumpy, untrained poorly chosen dog who like scratched kids with their nails always I think um Shamer who's a legendary Portland person I remember reading a zine that they did about puppy training and being like you know we had dogs when I was a kid and in the 90s we just kind of like got a dog and sort of just kind of saw what happened and now everyone is like understands that having a puppy is like having a baby yes A training, like a dog trainer or like the process of dog training in the 90s was for fucking rich assholes. As we see with Daphne in this movie. Radcliffe, honey. Yes. Like if you get a dog, absolutely train it. Like that's the right thing to do. But like when I was a kid, it was like that was for rich people. That was for the that was for Fraser Crane. Like that was who that was. Yeah. And so honestly, I was like scared of dogs until adulthood because Mm. like my parents and my friends' parents just always had these untrained dogs that would jump all over you. Mm. And actually we had a border collie who had nothing to chase. And so when I was a baby and I was left alone with her, she bit me on the face, not in a mean way, but because she was like, we think trying to herd me. Because she was like, finally, the tiniest, slowest sheep. (laughs) So then do you think you you get a little afraid of other people and maybe they'll try to bite you on the forehead and herd you? Yeah, I think I am afraid everyone's going to jump all over me. So like, I don't know, Miranda, I think you're on to (laughs) something. Thank you. My theory is that like, if people have in adulthood, like, or in childhood too, this is just something I've observed in adulthood, like, if your pet is, like, a good fit for you, then, like, you and your pet will resemble each other strongly. Oh, yeah. And I think I'm like my cats, and I think Alex is, like, his dog, and I Aww. think you and Chelsea are, like, Rox and Daphne, and I think that possibly 
from the outside, I might guess that you are the Daphne and Kelsey as the rocks, but like, I don't know. You're so right. Yeah. Okay. You're so right. <laughs> Rox is a non-binary icon. Yeah. We've known that from a very young age. She yeah. has a little stub tail. I feel like that's case in the movie too. Like, I mean, I know that Danny DeVito, you know, is Danny DeVito, but also it's like, I'm going to read, I'm going to read <laughs> Rox's non-binary. But like to speak of the Danny DeVito Irv, like, don't you feel like Frank on It's Always Sunny, like he is an important like really that whole show is like somewhat gender fluid in an interesting way Mm because it's about sort of the toxicity (laughs) of gender roles versus the theory of like if it feels good do it totally yeah i agree and alex do you agree with my theory about you and wheezy i don't but i appreciate it from the outside (laughs) what about tony um i don't relate to in a way that I, I really enjoy, mm. I, I fully and fundamentally don't relate to any of the animals I've had as an adult. Huh. I, I kind of see it like, I'm like, it's cool that we live together. Like, uh, <laughs> I learn a lot from your style and approach, Aww. you know, but I, I um, there's certainly things in all of them that I see in myself, but I haven't felt like kind of well-rounded in the way mm-hmm. that I feel that you, Sarah, with your cats... Mm-hmm. That it feels like you're of a similar Yes, cloth. well, I am a cat, as we've discussed. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But I, I, I'm going to be chewing on this all, all day and all week about the sort of, you know, your approach and attachment theory, et cetera, to like how you relate to your animals. Because um, I don't know, there's a lot, there's a lot These there. These are the big existential conversations that come out of Look Who's Talking Now. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Rotten Tomatoes. I also famously had a, I remember, uh, Miranda, I was telling you about this, I believe, at Pixar Pier. Yes. Um, I had a pet rat who gave birth to and then ate all of her babies. Terrible. And oh, yeah. That certainly affected me. Yeah. I had a gerbil that did that. Oh. I forgot about it until this moment. Really? How old yeah. were you? How, how did you do with that? I was 14. Mm. It was a weird age, I think, to have a gerbil as a, as a boy, but I did. <laughs> and, uh, and I loved it. Yeah. Sarah, how did you deal? And what it, tell, tell us about the age and, and how you process death. At that yeah, well, uh, Miranda, as I was telling you, um, in our wonderful moment at Disneyland, where I also spent a lot of time being like, you know, there was a horrible theme park accident a, a few years ago. Let me tell you about that. Oh, yeah, that's what we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is me anytime I'm in Las Vegas with someone. Is I'm like, someone jumped from that building. Someone jumped from that building. Some Two people jumped from that building. A couple came here and killed themselves in front of that bu- I mean, building. there are tour buses <laughs> that will charge you $80 to do that kind of thing, so... I'll do it ad hoc for free, right right to your face. Anyway, sorry. Well, yeah, and with my rats, it was like, I remember being like, well, Heather, like, I, Heather. I don't know. <laughs> Her name was Heather. Heather was your therapist at that point? Okay, no, that's okay. Alex, I didn't have a therapist until I was 33, and you know it. <laughs> I like to think that you're talking to Heather about you the massacre. Wish. <laughs> no, I named a rat Heather, and then she ate her babies. That's perfect. If you name your pet Heather, you're really looking for more big sister energy than a rat can <laughs> give you. <laughs> but I just was like, and I think in both a, a bad way and a good way, I really take people as they are, and I take rats as they are, and I think what I have needed to work on and continue working on is like, accepting people as they are but maybe not accepting them like in my life or my house as they are sure. <laughs> yeah yeah is this a message to, is this, this is, a, is you feel that way about rats now is you're like i get how you are but you can't massacre kids in my well, house i think my response to heather makes sense because like yeah. she's a rat she's a very young rat mm-hmm. my mom explained to me basically that she like wasn't ready to be a mom she was too young and i understood oh. that there are like you know, I think in the 90s, we had a lot of like unquestioning bias against teen moms in a nutso way. But I was I understood the concept that it was like better to do it past a certain age. And I was like, well, it's not Heather's fault. Heather wasn't ready. You know, That's right. I feel like we just unlocked a real core like you're wrong about DNA moment. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's a very prob mom kind of a thing to do of Heather. 
That's really incredible. Yeah, and your mom and your mom giving you that mm-hmm. rationale is really fantastic. Really reproductive rights education. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, she was a doctor and like Dr. Joseph. Dr. Joseph, yes. I was telling Miranda that like when I was like seven, when people would call my mom Mrs. Marshall, I would be like, her name is Dr. Joseph. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah. But she was like Doctors know that the world gets ugly, and um, I don't know. Sometimes they do better with rat fatalities, I guess. And to this day, I love rats. I don't have pet rats because I am not the kind of person, I think, who can be trusted to, like, maintain a rat habitat that rats would deserve. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I think rats are the best. And, you know, we've studied rats. Rats have great empathy Rat moms will synchronize their cycles so that they all give birth at about the same time and then they can raise their little babies in a communal nest. That was another problem Heather had. She didn't have a community. She was alone. Oh, yeah. That's not what she was. That's not what they do. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Anyway, let's talk about look who's talking now. We are. I can't. Can we talk? So the also the okay in the prior movies we have Mikey who comes to fruition and is not eaten by Christy Alley, and then we have we have his sister. She comes uh, voiced by Roseanne Barr. That dynamic is great. Roseanne and Bruce. I'm Willis. sure it is. I would say that it's too much of a good thing, honestly. Yeah, maybe too much. Totally. And and I'm going to take your word for it. 70, whatever, 74 minutes phoning it in, whatever I got. But Roseanne was like the biggest yeah. thing in the world at that moment. It made a lot of sense. And then in this movie, like, I can't t- like, what is this sibling dynamic? Like Mikey kind of doesn't like his sister, but he, she kisses him at the end and there's a cute little button. Uh, and he says, I hate my sister. I don't know. I like, I don't think that they knew what they were doing with anybody and it doesn't matter. I had fun. I'm so glad you had fun. I had like a real fear moment where I was like, what if they hate this movie? Just like Siskel and Ebert do. I don't think Miranda, I don't think I'm going to recommend it. I'm going to recommend it to people. But I think I, (laughs) I had a blast. Even as a Christmas movie. Even if somebody is like, what Christmas movies should I watch that I have not already seen a million times, Alex? I am glad to know that this is a, solidly a Christmas. This isn't just like Christmas is happening in the background. Like Christmas is a major part of the plot. It's a it brings Jordy into the movie. It's like it's got a you know Christmas is doing a lot of heavy lifting. And here. all of that is like some of my least favorite stuff. I really like. I agree with you that all the dynamics are really kind of strange, <laughs> except Rox and Daphne. And also, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, John Travolta and Kirstie Alley will never not have such charming chemistry. When you separate the artist from the alleged <laughs> death cult, you know, you put them together. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that they're both in the death mm-hmm. cult. Oh, my God. Holy they both shit. are. Wow. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yesterday. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is a perfect opportunity to tell you that I was walking on Hollywood Boulevard last night. Two things happened. I was walking on Hollywood Boulevard. I walked through the taping of a scene from Maxine, the sequel ah! to X and um, Pearl. I hope you show up in the background of Maxine. Yeah. Oh my God, meet meet Pearl. Yes. And as I'm walking, a guy yells, there's two cops standing by the corner of the production. And a guy who I think maybe had a lot to drink yelled, fuck you, L. Ron Hubbard. I hate you. You liar. Fuck you. And one of the cops goes, I agree with him. Wow. That sounds personal. That sounds like he is a former member to me. It was- Totally. Yeah. To, I mean, I think that this guy had experience. I just, the caps was so casual. I agree Specifically with Specifically L. Ron Hubbard, not David Miscavige. L. Ron Hubbard. I also, I also love the Travolta, uh, Kirstie Alley chemistry. And I feel like Kirstie Alley also made one of my favorite movies, Summer School. And Drop Dead Gorgeous. The best. This is the era of like, Women are from responsibility. Men are from roller skates, which is like, I'm really happy that we are trying to move past that. But also, like, this is one of the better versions of that. Well, I do. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this, Miranda, a a thousand times. And by no means, I want to recommend you do a thing because I know that's (laughs) the easiest way to get Sarah to not do a thing. But the um, 
if you do love that chemistry, that very specifically is what I love about at least the first movie or my memories of the first two movies totally. is like, mm-hmm. I love them together. Like, I loved Kirstie Alley as a kid so much. I loved John Travolta before we knew too much about him. And their chemistry and him being like a slob, but like having to like show up as a dad and her being like uptight, but like also being Kirstie Alley and fucking hilarious. I don't know. There, there, there is something special between them, and I really like that. Yeah, and I was planning on watching the trilogy. I was like, now seems like the perfect time. Like I should really just do it. And then we went to <laughs> Disneyland instead. <laughs> I'm happy with that choice. Yeah. yeah, you're having conversations about pet death at Pixar Cafe. Yeah. <laughs> Which is better. I mean, that's better. That's bonding. What are some standout parts of this, Miranda, that that when you revisit it, you're like, oh, that's that still does it for me. <laughs> Truly the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I was trying to think of like some standout, you know, I was watching it the other day and I was trying to like think of some some specific standout moments. And I just feel like the delivery of every line is so special to me. I feel like, and it's probably just because I fucking watched it when I was a kid. I don't know. But I think that Danny DeVito must have improvised Mm -hmm. a lot of the lines Mm -hmm. where you're just like watching, you know, everything like a second behind and just like saying, you know, doing the voiceover. And I just think he's so funny. (laughs) He says, oh, big room. Wonder where all the walls are. That's I also love that like Mikey adopts rocks like as he's being led to, you know, be be executed. Yeah, yeah high stakes for a minute there. Yeah. They don't kill the dog in front of the children, but they bring the dog to the execution chamber in front yeah, of Yeah, and all the dogs are really are like trying to warn him because he got spot here, got liver. And oh my God. Bev's dad from it comes in and is going to oh, take wow. rocks to the execution room. <laughs> and then they're all just yelling for his murder and it's a mutiny <laughs> and I love it. And then Mikey recognizes rocks from a cardboard box that he had seen him in like I don't know a week earlier the timeline is really fuzzy we also live in a universe like where babies sound like Bruce Willis I also like (laughs) for my whole life I don't know why but I always thought that like the premise of look who's talking was that Kirstie Alley and John Travolta are somehow thrown together by her having this baby and I always thought that it was like they have to deal with the fact that their baby talks and sounds like (laughs) Bruce Willis and this is like creating (laughs) issues for them and I didn't realize that like to them he's a normal baby and it's only to us that he sounds like Bruce Willis which is a really different movie (laughs) they're like he sounds like Bruce Willis what do we do and then it's them coming together and figuring it out you know what's great about look who's talking because it's it's and again i know i said this but like i really am struck by it it's about a a man playing a baby and therefore being able to like long and pine for the love of another man i guess i do need to see this movie (laughs) it's funny to me too that like john travolta like pulp fiction was considered a comeback for john travolta which means Mm -hmm. that this wasn't a great series of moments for John Travolta because <laughs> Pulp Fiction comes out a year so later. Somebody did it. <laughs> Guess whose production company made Pulp Fiction? Whose? Who? Danny DeVito's. Oh <laughs> shit! You're right. I forgot he was a producer. That's amazing. And Garden State and Reno 911. He's like so good. You know, he's daddy. Do we think that Quentin Tarantino was like, hey? Uh, hey, hey, John, could you, uh, could you reach out to your friend from the uh, Talking Dog movie? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, yes, I do think so. In retrospect, I feel like Pulp Fiction was like people recognized he could like do art and that he was self-aware. Because like, look who's talking made a ton of money, but he didn't have to be self-aware for it to work, I think. I also, I love how like, all of these movies, as Miranda has been saying, this movie has great pop songs. So do all the other ones. There's a lot of like nicely integrated musical moments. We're always finding ways for John Travolta to dance a little bit. And like <laughs> the first movie, I do love the kind of approach of like, 
he's the best daddy for the baby because he loves the baby. And this was kind of in the Bush and Murphy Brown years of like, children have to have dads, but we don't know what they're for, but they have to have them. And we never pointed out that the dads need to like love or like the kids. They just Mm -hmm. have to be physically there. And I think that we needed to be more specific about what we needed the dads for. (laughs) And isn't isn't the thing about the first two look who's talking, is it about him like learning to be a dad and to be available or is it about her accepting him? He like immediately loves the baby. It's about her accepting him because he like drives her to the hospital. Then he like shows up pretty soon after Mikey is born and just kind of like becomes like a babysitter slash friend. And like Mikey loves him and wants to be his daddy. But... Kirstie Alley wants to get together with George Siegel because that's her impossible dream. And in the end, it's about being like, that's crazy you know what? Me. Like my baby already loves this guy. So maybe I should love this guy. Well, oh and then God. in this movie, we have the parallel relationships of Daphne yeah. learning ah. to love rocks yeah. and Kirstie totally. learning to like accept John Travolta, I guess. <laughs> They're about acceptance. And I guess like the theme is just like you just accept the good-hearted garbage person, and I have really taken that to heart. Well, and then like, what do you do? Like, where do you take that next? Because it's about trust, also, right. and it's about like, is he you know spurning these advances that he does? And that's that's classic. Like, I really, really, I've been in situations, and I'm not trying to float my own boat here, but I've been in situations where advances have been coming at me and I'm too fucking stupid to know that that is what's happening mm-hmm. and like for like long periods of time Alex, and then someone's known. like do you understand I never know yeah. <laughs> you're like do you understand that's a, and that's what he's dealing with this entire movie and then finally yeah. he gets it so I but I I yeah I love the idea that this is that this is ultimately about you know accepting the love where it actually is and not yeah. where you wish for it to be and I also appreciate a movie that's like do you want to be with uh john travolta i mean i understand we're talking about the older movies but do you want to be with john travolta or do you want to be with george siegel because i am a i want to be with george mm-hmm. siegel guy and so i get it i get where kirstie Alley's coming from even though that's illogical like it's john travolta but george siegel is a is hot. It's true. I've always had a crush on George Siegel, so thank you. Love an old man. Yeah. We've covered this. But I, I feel like the first movie could also be called... It did originally have some daddy-based titles that they didn't use, but I think <laughs> it also could have been called Daddy Is As Daddy Does. Right? Oh, great. Because George Siegel, like, he gives daddy, but the whole point is that, like, he's a stupid baby man who is not being present in any of his relationships and part of Kirstie Alley's growth is like giving up on him and realizing that like maybe she can't recognize that John Travolta is daddy because he's like a you know grown up Barbarino cab driver but like he loves Mikey and he like likes Mikey he likes spending time with Mikey there's a scene where he's like I guess I'm not very mature I mean you're one year old and you're my best friend in the whole world and you're just like uh uh-huh. He loves the baby. <laughs> like, we have not asked for men to love the baby. I think we need to start demanding that. You're right. Well, totally. Like, now it's like, it's like, protect children with your gun. Like, that's right. like the whole like, take on like it's being like, a father. Have you tried now. playing blackjack with the baby? <laughs> I I'm calling it now. Daddy is as Daddy does as a fucking merch in a, <laughs> immediately. Yes. Daddy is as Daddy does is so fucking good. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh my god. Well, what's where do we go next with uh, Luke? Who's talking now? Boy, I mean, all of the I I have gathered from watching this movie enough times that the fantasy sequences must be like canon from yeah. the yeah. other movies. Okay, totally. Which I really like. And them all singing a song together. Yeah, fantasy. Oh, yeah, these are That's these such are a things. nice scene. The chipmunk song. Yeah, I oh love that. Yeah, Chelsea so hadn't cute. seen this movie either the first time I had them watch it a couple of years ago. And the, the they were just like so taken with the fantasy scenes. Like that very brief segment mm-hmm. where Kir- young Kirstie Alley is like, I'll never have breasts. And I it's just like too. one second. <laughs> 
in the prior movies, it's terror of potty training and it's the toilet oh, being yeah. like a nefarious monster. That's like who's talking to. That's actually Mikey's arc in that movie is potty training pretty much. I don't care about that. <laughs> um, there's a scene where, where Rox takes Daphne out on a date <laughs> and, they, and they go like they go out for Chinese food in the dumpster and then they run around in mud and Daphne's never put her paw in mud before. And then there's this great, like, what I assume is a song that they recorded specifically for this movie, which is just a gospel choir singing mud, mud, oh my mud. God. And it's beautiful. We don't do that enough anymore in movies. And fa- yeah. that was like a big like family comedy thing is like there would be like something custom recorded for the scene itself more of that there's also a period in like i i want to say it's between like a prayer and billy Joel performing river of dreams at the grammys where like if you were serious you got yourself a gospel choir of course <laughs> somebody tweeted yesterday that billy joel is george costanza if he were elvis <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's a laugh of of i agree and that's the funniest fucking thing i've ever heard <laughs> Oh my god. I'm obsessed. Can we talk for a moment? Because I think this is like, it is on and off of YouTube, but Billy Joel's Grammys protest has a special place in my heart. Do you remember this, Alex? This was no. like 1994. He was performing River of Dreams. River of Dreams, of course. Which I think most of us, certainly I for many years, knew not by its title, but as In the Middle of the Night. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Middle of the Night. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I don't remember. think Alex has ever sung on the podcast. I'm no, really happy never. about this. Wow. This so, it's because this is a special movie that makes us do special things. It's true. <laughs> and so they had done a Lifetime Achievement Grammy for Frank Sinatra earlier in that broadcast, and they actually cut off his acceptance speech because they needed to go to commercial and like it being Frank Sinatra, I'm sure he was talking for a while. But, you know, on the <laughs> yeah, other yeah, hand, yeah. it is Frank, Frank Sinatra. Sinatra. He's going to be dead pretty soon, which I think was apparent. <laughs> and so there's a part in River of Dreams where the song kind of like stops and then it jumps back in again. And so in that part, Billy Joel just like stopped playing. Everyone else stopped playing. And he just like, I think, held up his watch and went, valuable advertising time going by. <gasps> Valuable advertising time going by. Dollars, dollars, dollars. And then just look straight at the camera with this like, I'm George Costanza's Elvis smile. (laughs) And then, in the middle of the night. It's so good. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so good. That's kind of the thing I like about his public persona is he's like a bitch. And I love that. You love a bitch. You love a bitch. Oh, I love a bitch. I love a bitch. (laughs) All right. So this this franchise is all about daddies. But before we get to that question, I would like to ask, what actors would be the voices of your pets? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, truly... I want Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton to be the voices yeah. of my cats. Yes. And there's really not a better fit. Yeah. That would just be perfect. But I'm, I, I am interested to hear your choices. Sarah, who what, who do you have for the well, cats? Okay, so Werner is, of course, named after Werner Herzog. And I think he does sound like that. But I think that because I have finally started watching Succession and because people have observed that we all know that Werner is management <laughs> and Klaus is doing yeah. his bidding. So I'm going to say, based on that, that um, I could cast Werner as Brian Cox and Klaus as, um, is it Kieran Culkin who's in that? So, yeah. Whichever Culkin. Whichever Culkin. That's great. I love that (laughs) for them. That's great. Alex? God, I don't know. Um, you know, t- Tony, I like a lot because he is a bitch, <laughs> and I and that is like kind of a, a vibe that I really like about him. Tony's named after Tony Hawk because Carolyn named him Tony Hawk. <laughs> um, but but that's not the most accurate voice for him. Yeah, I don't know. Like, who's a bitchy man? Mm-hmm. Alan Cumming, in a way, feels perfect for Tony, but like he, but Tony's a little dumb, so I don't know that that makes sense for for Alan Cumming because he's or kinda- like Nathan Lane. 
Nathan Lane, mm. that's great. Nathan Lane when he's doing serious, mm -hmm. not like heightened Nathan yes. Lane, but when Nathan Lane is just kind of like talking in a behind the scenes interview. Like that's who that's who uh, we have nice. there. And then for Wheezy, like I don't know, like Divine. Ooh. I think um, <gasps> Divine's a nice one for Wheezy because mm. Wheezy's gender is confusing, mm -hmm. and she's also like a little anarchic and playfully slovenly, mm -hmm. but also like special and like a little fantastic. Mm -hmm. So like, I think divine makes the most sense. Nathan Lane and divine. Yeah. What a pair. What a pair. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they love each other so much. Well, we know that John Travolta is a father in this movie. And also that guy who's an accountant who definitely didn't have sex with those 13 ladies right. on that and island. And Trooper, the German shepherd, who is Rox's dad from the beginning of the movie. Do you know this whole, by the way, there's a whole, so Amy Heckerling wrote this movie with, what is his name? I, I don't have the. Um, I don't think she wrote this movie. I think just has a characters by credit. Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm sorry. The original movie is what oh, I was yeah, talking about. Oh, yeah, with her husband at the time, or at least the sequel. With her husband. Who Do you know this thing about like the fact that like his daughter with her is not actually his daughter it's Harold Ramis's daughter and that was only found out very oh. recently oh yeah well it mentioned IMDB says that Harold Ramis's daughter's memoir talks about Harold Ramis inspiring the George Siegel character wow yes 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 I knew I was like there's something thematically in here that makes sense in the context of Amy Heckerling's life and that's exactly it is I think and she yes, was like this perfect. baby is Bruce Willis I know what I'll do. <laughs> right. Incredible. Right. <laughs> well, so we know that, excuse me, we know that John Travolta is a father. We know that Harold Ramis is a father. Who, in your view, is the daddy of this movie? Danny DeVito. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Danny DeVito is the daddy of all my movies, and I love him. He's your emotional blanket from That's the right. 90s. And he's still married to Rhea Perlman. They, got, they? they separated for like 10 years, which my parents also did. They got divorced for many years when I was a child and then got back together. And then Danny and Rhea separated in 2019. But they're just like, we're just best friends and we're never getting divorced. We have no interest in, interest in oh, it. We wow. still hang out all the time and we have our kids and like, whatever. I think it's beautiful. That's daddy. <laughs> My mom and my stepdad had gotten divorced, but became like closer friends yeah. as a result of it, which is a really interesting, you know, when you reformat the whole thing. That's great. I love that mm -hmm. answer. I, I'm going to say, again, just not because of anything he does in the movie. He's worthless as he is in the entire franchise. But I just love seeing George Siegel. I'll <laughs> take any opportunity to see George Siegel. I'm so happy that he went on to be in Just Shoot Me in the, the TV series later on. So we'd see him a lot around this time in the 90s with David Spade. And uh, I love George Siegel. That's it. L love George Siegel forever. RIP George Siegel. I'm glad we all agree George Siegel is a fox. Yes. <laughs> Sarah. Um, my daddy is Miranda for <laughs> loving this movie and just being... The Stevie Nicks slash magical talking dog that you are Aww. and bringing this yeah. to us. That's so nice. You're like one of these movies of Stevie Nicks voice. <laughs> oh, my dog. God, you are. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simmer in that for a long time. What if there was like an imaginary 80s Bluth movie where it's like Stevie Nicks as like a cocker spaniel? Oh, my God. <laughs> You know, and, and then Don Henley is a beagle. <laughs> yeah, Miranda, you should make a concept album that imagines if that movie existed. That would be <laughs> I will. Oh, my God. So that would be beautiful. fantastic. <laughs> Miranda, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram, mostly, at Miranda the Swamp Monster, which has nothing to do with anything. Um, you can find everything that I do on there. I'm a musician in a lot of different projects, including a Fleetwood Mac tribute band, yes. which should explain all of the Stevie Nicks references today. And then primarily a band called Coinka. We have a brand new single and we haven't released any music since 2021. It's coming out on this Friday, April 28th. So that's Yay! very exciting. 
Um, it sadly does not involve any talking dogs. But yeah, I also work in podcasting. I work on a show called American Hysteria with my partner, Chelsea Weber-Smith. And on You're Wrong About and this show, which we are talking on now. Look what show we're talking on now. Every week I (laughs) hand you a big dumpster full of rocks and pebbles and you sift through it and find the gold. (laughs) Not even a metaphor. It's just that's just how it goes. (laughs) No, she really does it. She really does it. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for coming on and talking about the talking dogs. Thank you for editing the episode as well, Miranda. (laughs) It's so great to have you. We love you so much, and we love that you are part of the You Are Good team. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the episode and doing some editing as well. Thank you to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make these episodes sound so sweet. Thank you for finding us on Twitter and Instagram at YouAreGoodPod. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions, where again, you get bonus episodes. And thank you just for being you and helping make this show possible. We really appreciate you. Don't forget that you, my friend, are good.